the teams you care about. The Patriots are now closer to the bottom of the AFC than the top. That's a fact. The stories that matter to you. Trevor Story, man, he makes the Red Sox much, much better in 2022. This is your home for New England sports. I I'm just wondering what happens next for UVA because I think there could be a lot of turnover on that roster. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEVAM FM and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? It is a Monday here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. It's finally game week for the Red Sox. Opening week is here. Opening day is Thursday for the Sox against the Yankees. We've only got one more spring training game left. I am so pumped for this week, Red Sox baseball is about to be back. All 90 minutes at our disposal today. We've got some notes on the Red Sox. Sox lost today in the game you heard here on WDEV today by a score of 2 to nothing. But we'll get some Sox notes. Not all of it good. Some of it very interesting, though. So talk about that. Patriots insider Phil Perry of NBC Sports Boston is back with us for the first time of the offseason. He's going to be joining us at 545. And a really interesting story out of UAlbany men's basketball. So one of UVM's chief rivals went through some real turmoil last week. We're going to talk a little bit about what went on with their head coach, Dwayne Killings. You can get in, as always, on the Napa-Morrisville, Napa-Waterbury text line. That's 802-585-3026, your locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury and Morrisville. And you can also get in on the Facebook Live chat. You can get in on YouTube Live and on my Twitter account as well, all three places you can watch the show. So my Twitter account is at WDEV Radio Brady. But let's waste no time and let go. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. The opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas Show brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center. Locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sixandstuff.com. The Devontae Parker trade for the Patriots is a good move, but to me, it no it in no way makes me think the team is all of a sudden now a true contender. The Devontae Parker move is nice. It is a good move overall, but the Patriots still need to draft a need to draft a wide receiver in a significant spot. Like top two rounds, they need to be drafting a wide receiver. Here's the deal if you missed it. It came out on Saturday afternoon. The Patriots traded away a 2023 third round draft pick to the Dolphins for Devontae Parker and a fifth round pick this year. So you get the player right away, you get the draft pick right away. So to me, that's good. This is a good deal by the Patriots, a good deal made by Bill Belichick. Again, I don't think that this completes the Patriots. I think their wide receiver room still has more work to do. And again, they need to draft a wide receiver in a prominent position. But I will tell you why I like this move, because there's a lot of reasons why I like the acquisition of Devontae Parker. One, Devontae Parker is a physical and fast wide receiver. We talk about the Patriots needing speed, needing explosion, needing big playability. 
Devontae Parker has some of that. He has what the Patriots have been lacking. So he's a guy who can win in traffic, who can make contested catches. In a way, he's everything that we wanted Nikhil Harry to be in that regard. A physical presence who can make tough catches, who Mac Jones can trust to go and win against defensive backs in this league. Devontae Parker, according to Pro Football Focus, has 57 contested catches since 2019. That is first among all players. He's six foot three. He ran a 4.47 coming out of college at the combine. He's he's the same height as Nikhil Harry. He's a little heavier than Nikhil Harry, and he's a little faster than Nikhil Harry. Actually, I'm sorry. He's a little lighter than Nikhil Harry. So he's 10 pounds lighter than Nikhil Harry. So same height, 10 pounds lighter. And faster. He's everything we want Nikhil Harry to be. Fast, physical, makes tough, contested catches. So I like that. Okay, we had a plan for Nikhil Harry. It never materialized. Devontae Parker can come in and can fill that role and can fulfill that plan. Two, I really like that Devontae Parker is a guy who can play on the outside and can get vertical in the offense. I have been asking the Patriots offense to get an element of verticality to it. Now, Nelson Aguilar was supposed to provide it. Didn't really do that last year. Devontae Parker can help you in your quest to take the top off of a defense. Now, he didn't have to go deep a ton in Miami because Tua doesn't throw deep. But since Devontae Parker came into the league, half of his targets have come on passes thrown at least 10 yards. He's run the 15th most go routes since he entered the league. That is what Devontae Parker can bring to you. He will add something to this team. Ted Johnson of NBC Sports Boston, former Pats linebacker, he likes the move too. He gives the Patriots a deep threat. Um, I just, uh, in an element in which they really haven't had, Nelson Aguilar was supposed to be that guy. He really isn't. He's been a productive player. He's been hurt the last couple years, Mike. He's missed nine games in the last two years, so he does get hurt quite often. But when he is healthy, I really like this player. It's speed, speed, speed. He's a deep threat, and that's what they need. Devontae Parker will add something to this roster. He adds speed. He adds physicality. He adds verticality. And he makes the wide receiver room deeper. In my mind, he fully replaces Nikhil Harry. Nikhil Harry's time is done. Nikhil Harry is not going to be on this roster by opening day of the 2022 season. So Parker adds depth, makes your room stronger, and fully replaces Harry. But to me, so it's a good move, but to me, there is more work to be done. There is more work to be done. As nice a player as Parker is, all the nice things I just said about him, they are true. This team still needs a bona fide stud. You got a good player. Other teams are getting dudes. We talked about that on Friday. Devontae Parker is not a dude. He's a good player. He's a depth piece. He strengthens your overall wide receiver room. You still need that guy. Now let's flip it over to the other side of the coin. I told you I like the move, and I do. But here is why it doesn't complete the New England Patriots. Remember this. This is why the Patriots still need to do significant work on a wide receiver in the draft with a prominent pick. 
the Miami Dolphins are getting rid of Devontae Parker. The Miami Dolphins believe they are just fine without him. They acquired Tyreek Hill, a star. They, they drafted Jalen Waddell, a star. They think that their stars are better than Devontae Parker. In fact, they believe they are so set at wide receiver, they are willing to trade Devontae Parker within the division. Not only did they not want him anymore, they are so not scared of him, they are okay trading him to their division rivals. Do not forget that. One man's trash can definitely be another man's treasure. But in this case, Devontae Parker should not instantly be your number one receiver. He's not good enough to be on their roster, and yet he's going to be your savior and your number one receiver? No, he's not. If he replaces Nikhil Harry, then that's a win. But you also, you've got to go get that stud. If you told me I acquired Devontae Parker and I drafted a wide receiver at number 21 overall, then I'm good. I would love that move. If you told me that you that you traded for Devontae Parker and drafted a stud in the second round, I'd really like the move. But if you tell me that, that trading for Devontae Parker... And now you're just all set at receiver. I'm not going to be good with that. The Miami Dolphins, they traded away this guy in their division because they're not fearful of him. They, he couldn't be their number one receiver. He couldn't be their number two. So if he can't be their number two even, he's certainly not my number one, and he doesn't complete my offseason. Good player. Helpful player. Will have a role. Will play a role. And should play a prominent role but he's not a number one. You need a number one. Another reason why this doesn't really tip the scales for me, again, good move, like it, doesn't tip the scales for me, is like, I, I don't know how much I can really count on Devontae Parker. He's been in the league for seven years. He has played a full season exactly one of those years. Now, there's always going to be injuries, but there are more injuries with Devontae Parker. That's just a fact. Seven years in the NFL, he has played a full season exactly one time. He is not someone that I can just pencil in for a 1,000 yards receiving. He has done that exactly one time. He is not available enough to put up the kind of production that you would want him to. So you're going into this deal hoping that he can be healthy, hoping that he can be really productive. And what have I told you for weeks now? Hope is not a strategy. Hope is not a strategy. Devontae Parker is a good move. It is not an earth-shattering move. It strengthens the room. That's important. It strengthens the depth. That's important. It'll take some pressure off of Nelson Aguilar to be your only deep threat. That's important. It'll give Mac Jones a guy who can make tough catches. That's important. But it does not finish the job at wide receiver. You need, the way the NFL is, we've talked about it for weeks, your Tyreek Hill, your DeAndre Hopkins, your DK Metcalf, your Jamar Chase, you need that guy. And if you're not willing to trade for that guy, then you need to draft that guy. Devontae Parker 
and a highly drafted receiver, I'm all in. I'd love it, and I'd probably change my overall opinion of the offense. Devontae Parker only and no stud wide receivers. I'm looking at you saying, you know what? You've got a bunch of good players, but you need great. The Patriots made a good start at finishing their wide receiver room on Saturday. They did not finish it. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Joe says the Pats trading for Parker is huge. He is a legit number one and a deep threat. We need that. I can't wait to see him play in a Pats uniform. I still do think they need to draft a wide out with the first pick they have. Look, he's not a number one. You telling me that you need to draft a number one, you're telling me you need to draft a wide out with your first pick. That's proving to me that Parker's not a number one. If you acquired a number one, you wouldn't need to draft you know, wouldn't need to draft somebody that high. He's not a number one. Virginia and Starksboro, I'd take Devontae Parker over DK Metcalf all day, every day. Yeah, that's that's not true. Uh, Devontae Parker is 29. DK Metcalf is like 24. DK Metcalf is a freak athletically. Devontae Parker is not. And uh, DK Metcalf is... DK Metcalf is a home run threat. Devontae Parker has missed nine games over the last two years. Uh, Peter and Williston, Parker is an upgrade over the current Patriots wide receivers. Good locker room guy, solid pro, will have a chip on his shoulder. Um, okay, I, I, I can buy all that. Uh, Gary says, hasn't the NFL done a great marketing job opening week of baseball and you're opening your show talking pats? Yeah, the news has never stopped in the NFL. The news has never stopped. This has been the wildest offseason that I can remember. Let's continue the conversation. We don't even want a break. Phil Perry of NBC Sports Boston is about to join us on the phone, and there's Phil queued up now. So Phil was on every single week with us during the NFL season. I told him when the season ended in January we'd give him some time off from us, but uh, we couldn't wait any longer. So we had to bother Phil Perry of NBC Sports Boston today. Phil, thank you for coming on again. It's been a while. I've missed you dearly, Brady. Thanks for giving me a shout here. There's there's plenty for us to get to get into. Yeah, the off season, not so much from the Patriots perspective, but the off season has been insane. Have you even gotten a break yet? <laughs> uh, you know, not quite yet. I think we we had a few hours maybe down at the owners' meetings in Palm Beach. The sun was pretty nice down there. It's nice to see the sun a little bit. Um, so we we got a little bit of a breather there, but we were working there too. So it's it's all good. It's fun, man. It's <laughs> It keeps us on our toes, especially um, when the Patriots are making moves on a Saturday afternoon. That's that's when you know there there really is no downtime, even in the offseason. Yeah, Patriots acquired wide receiver Devontae Parker from the Dolphins the other day. A couple of draft picks change hands as well. What do you make of the Pats' newest receiver addition? Well, this is really, Brady, what the Patriots have been looking for. Uh, I've been reporting really even before free agency started that one of their priorities would be to add size and speed at the receiver position. And that's what everybody wants, right? It's easy to say that. But it's really something that the Patriots receiver room has lacked. When you, when you looked at this room prior to this trade, it was a lot of short to intermediate complementary types of options. And Nelson Aguilar. Nelson Aguilar was signed to be the deep threat. He was signed to be that guy that draws coverage. He just wasn't really able to do it all that effectively in talking to coaches around the league that had the game plan for the Patriots last year, they weren't concerned by what the Patriots had on the outside. 
They weren't concerned about the Patriots' ability to threaten deep down the field. And so the Patriots knew that. It made them relatively easy to defend, even though the Patriots ended up having a top-10 offense in terms of scoring points, and even though they had one of the best run games in football, they knew they were making themselves too easy to slow down by not forcing defenses to defend every blade of grass. Brady, that's something that we've heard the Patriots say time and time again for a long time now. And so they knew they needed this kind of presence on the outside. Now, they had to thread the needle a little bit, right, because they wanted that kind of presence. They didn't want to really pay for it. And that's typically what you have to do with that position. So somebody like Allen Robinson, who was a free agent this year, they loved him last year when they had a ton of money. He was out of their price range this year. Even lower-tier guys like Marquez Aldis-Scantling, DJ Chark, those guys get around nine, $10 million bucks a year. Those guys are out of their price range for what they would be providing on the field. Here in Parker, you don't give up a ton. You get him for about $6 million bucks each of the next two years. And when he's at his best, when he's healthy – the last time he was healthy, he was actually also in a Patriots offense, Brady, and he put up over 1,200 yards. So if you get that type of presence for Mac Jones, it could make everybody's life easier on that side of the ball in New England. You know, Phil, I'm sure I'm not the only one feeling this way, and I'm sure you're warding off this, these same people on, on Twitter that are saying what I'm about to say here. Devontae Parker, I'm sure, is good. He represents a high upside player. He represents better than Nikhil Harry. That's all fine. But the league is taking big swings now. Everybody around the Patriots is taking big swings now. This feels like a move like, yeah, it's a little upgrade, but it's not DK Metcalf. It's not Tyreek Hill. I mean, should the Pats evolve their thinking into taking those kind of shots? You could make that argument. You certainly could. I I would say that especially given where the league is going financially and where the salary cap's going year after year after year, it's easier to make that kind of push, whether it's for an individual player or overall as a general team-building philosophy. It's okay to push money towards because money's coming in, you know, barring another pandemic, God forbid. You know, it's the one time that the, the cap has really stagnated and gone backwards. You know what you're going to be working with years down the line in terms of your finances. And so there is an argument to be made that you can be even more aggressive and be willing to give up more money. But we also know that Bill Belichick has a certain philosophy on on how he feels is the right way to build. And it wasn't what he did last year. That was okay for one year to build a competitive team very quickly, which he did. And kudos to him for that. But he does not view that as a sustainable method for building a good team. And so while all these other teams are doing what you're saying – Bill Belichick does not want to be a part of that group. He feels like the best way to do it is to be discippointed in your spending, spend when you really need to, but build through the draft. And so that's where he's at right now, and it's going to be something that he has to willing to accomplish over a longer period of time because it's going to take another at least one, probably two or three, quality draft classes before the Patriots are back to where they want to be. Phil Perry, Pat's Insider, NBC Sports Boston with us here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Phil, if you told me that Devontae Parker replaces Nikhil Harry and the Pats take that home run threat at receiver at number 21 in the draft, I'd feel really good overall. But everything I'm reading says they're not going to do that. So where are they looking in the draft, you think, in their first round? Well, my understanding is this does not rule them out of the receiver market when the draft rolls around. Okay. The question there, though, is, okay, 
Does it put them in the first round conversation? Does it put them in the day two conversation at that position? And that to me is to be determined. It's going to come down to what's available to them. It's going to come down to value. It's going to come down to what they think is, is their biggest need when they do finally get to the draft and there's still a little time here and there may be even more additions made down the line. I think what this has done for them is that it's given them some flexibility. It has reduced the urgency for them at that position. I think this was a glaring need for them, and it would have had to have been a, a need that you addressed in the first or second round probably in this year's upcoming draft class. Now maybe you don't have to force it in that way. I, I would say that it's a similar situation to what they're looking at at corner, Brady. They feel like Malcolm Butler can play, and they felt like in 2020 Malcolm Butler was a very good player. And if that's the player that they get, then they're okay in terms of not having to force it at corner early on in the draft. Now, do you still need talent at both of these positions? You do. And so I would not rule the Patriots out from, from looking into players at receiver, players at corner with that 21st overall pick. But if the player that you love isn't there, and for example, this is a very deep offensive tackle class. This is a very deep edge rusher class. If there are players that fall to you at 21 overall at premium positions like those ones that you really love, that you could argue is a need for the Patriots, you know, Isaiah Wynn, he's not, he's not under contract beyond the 2022 season. Trent Brown, who knows what his health is going to look like, you know, in the next six months or so. You know, tackle might be a way to go there. Edge might be a way to go there because across from Matt Judon, you still have plenty of questions. So this has just given them some flexibility. I think they're still going to be looking at drafting a receiver. I would, I would expect them to draft a receiver in this year's draft. I just am not sure exactly when because this Parker move has, has given them a little bit of flexibility. Are the Patriots closer to the top or the bottom of the AFC as we sit today? That's a good question, Brady. I would say... They should be. Here's where they should be. They should be back in the conversation for double-digit wins, and they should be in the conversation for the postseason. Well, I predict right now in April, before the draft, that they're going to be back in the playoffs after getting there last year with the rookie quarterback. No, especially after losing what they lost on their coaching staff, in particular Josh McDaniels. You know, you want to throw the losses of J.C. Jackson and Shaq Mason in there, I would agree with you there. Those are significant losses as well. So I'm not going to say they should be in for sure, but they should be sniffing it. And if they're not, that to me is a major disappointment. I know there are some people that cover this team very closely that feel like the Patriots could be a four-win team and they could be down the bottom of the conference right there with the Jaguars and the Texans. I'm sorry, I, I can't get on board with that. They still have too much talent. They do have a quarterback who should make serious improvements this offseason and Mac Jones going into his second year. And they still have a guy that, that is widely considered the best coach in all of football still to this day. That should be enough to get you in the conversation for the postseason. I don't think they're threatening the Bills for the division, but they should be in the conversation by season's end for one of those wild card spots. What did you make of Robert Kraft's comments last week? I'm not one of these guys who says, oh, he put Belichick on the hot seat, but it did seem like he was putting – Belichick and the organization on notice a little bit. What'd you make of what Kraft had to say? Yeah, he's impatient. He's impatient, and uh, listen, I'm I, I sort of agree with it, him in that he feels like his team should be in contention this year. Now, I don't know, I don't know if they really should be in contention for a Super Bowl. Like, I think that's strong, although that's where I think his standard is right now. 
but they should be good. Like they, there's no reason for them not to be good after what they did last season. There really isn't. And if they have another step back here, I think Robert Kraft is well within his rights to be upset about it. Now, there, there's the, you know, the the implied sort of or else or what if attached to Kraft's comments, and I and I'm not sure there's much there after that. Like if the Patriots end up having a, a 500 ish season Brady is Bill Belichick going to be on the hot seat is he going to be fired I, I highly highly doubt that but he wants to see progress and and that I think is totally reasonable and within his rights I know everybody sort of rolled their eyes and said oh wow sorry Robert you haven't won a playoff game in three years it must be so hard but when you spend the way he spent last year you know, when you hit on a quarterback the way that they did, when you're paying your head coach at the top of the league in terms of his salary and you're expecting a lot from him, th- there's no reason they shouldn't be, again, sniffing playoff contention and, and in the mix to, to win a playoff game this year. I really believe that that is attainable for them. That's, that's not pie-in-the-sky thinking on his part. Well, I'll get you out of here on this. I'm actually a big fan of the Jabril Peppers move. For all the, the belly aching I've done about the Pats offseason, I really like the Peppers move. Gives them some what I think is needed physicality and athleticism. How did you see that move? Yeah, this is uh, one of those moves that you could chuck up to trying to get younger and faster on the defensive side of the ball. Now, people look at that and say, well, what do you mean? How? Like he's he's not even really all that fast in terms of you know the world of defensive backs. But when he's playing at the second level, he's playing at that linebacker level, and now you have the ability to have Peppers there as well as Kyle Duggar as well as Adrian Phillips. Now that linebacker level that everybody complained about last year being too slow gets a little bit more athletic. You add Mac Wilson to that mix. That's somebody who's a a, a much better athlete than the Patriots typically have at the second level there and maybe you put him alongside a Juwan Bentley so you don't need the two hulking linebackers on the field at the same time. You have one who can do the dirty work there and who can take on the guards one-on-one, and you can have another who flies around and can make some plays and can chase people down, you know, running backs out of the backfield, tight ends going across the middle. This this defense, to me, still needs talent, especially a corner, but they have gotten faster, and the Peppers move is one that, that just gives them flexibility. Brady, they got killed by backs out of the backfield, tight ends, receivers in the flats, you know, the deep stuff against the Patriots last year. Now, a lot of that might be due to J.C. Jackson's presence. He's obviously gone. But the deep stuff didn't really hurt the Patriots' defense last year. It was a lot of the catch-and-run stuff in the short-to-intermediate area of the field. When you add a Peppers and you get a little bit more athletic at linebacker, you should be better suited to handle some of those things. Jonathan Jones will be back in the slot as well. And so now you have all these guys that can play a variety of different roles. They can play slot receivers. They can play big slots. They can play backs. They can play tight end. You can have four safeties out there at a time next year, Brady, and just allow those guys to exchange, not just from snap to snap, but within the context of a given play. If you're playing zone defense and you're looking at three different eligible receivers tied to the formation, and they end up running a certain concept that forces you to exchange, well, now you have the athletes that can do that. Prior to this, if you're looking at Jonathan Jones, you know, send it, you know and you're playing zone and, and you want Jonathan Jones to send his responsibility, sort of hand him off, quote-unquote, to Juwan Bentley in coverage, you know, that's probably not going to work because Juwan Bentley can't run with a slot receiver. But if it's Jonathan Jones passing someone off to Jabril Peppers or to Kyle Duggar, well, now you've got multiple 
athletes on the field who can handle a variety of different roles. I think that's what the Patriots are looking for. They're just looking for, for speed and athleticism, yes, but for flexibility as well, to be able to handle the sorts of diverse passing attacks that they'll see week to week now. Phil Perry, Pat's Insider, NBC Sports Boston. You can check him out with all of his draft coverage and his draft prep at NBCSportsBoston.com and also the Next Pat's podcast. So, Phil, draft season is less than a month away, so uh, I know you're getting excited, and I'm sure we'll talk to you again around the draft as well, but appreciate you stopping by today. Sounds good, Brady. Talk to you soon, buddy. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Love having Phil Perry on. It's been two and a half months since we had Phil on. I think we did a good job at not bothering him through the early part of the offseason, but we had to get him on here on this Monday. Look, I, we're going to react to some of what Phil had to say in the 6 o'clock hour. Phil, he's always so solid. His intel is always so good. Uh, my gut, you know, just kind of gut takeaways right off the bat. One, I'm glad he likes the Peppers signing like I do. I'm glad, really glad, that he says the Parker move doesn't preclude the Patriots from taking someone high up in the draft. He is right. It gives you flexibility, but I don't want to see this be like, okay, we got Parker, so ah, we can take a flyer on a guy in the fifth. That's not going to fly for me. They still need a stud. They still need a game changer. You can pro- you can still find that guy in round two, so maybe he doesn't have to be in round one, but... You still have to find that guy. Flexibility is nice, but you can't say, oh, we got Parker. We'll just take a guy in the seventh. That that That's not going to get this team to a Super Bowl. They need a big play home run threat who scares defenses, and you can find that in round one, maybe in round two. This is not like, oh, we got Devontae Parker, so we're all good. Interesting, he also thinks that the Pats are still contending for double-digit wins next year. We'll talk about that as well. National news update, and then everybody wants to know, how'd my 5K go? I'll tell you what happened. That's next. 96.1 WDEV. 26. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Thanks to Phil Perry, NBC Sports Boston, for stopping by. The full interview will be available soon on our podcast channel on Apple Podcasts. And on Spotify, we went commercial free there. I didn't even realize in that first segment we didn't take a commercial. We just got right into Phil's. There's so much to talk about there. Phil in Middlesex gets in on the Napa Morris, Phil Napa Waterbury text line saying he loves the pickup of Devontae Parker. I do too. I just want it to be coupled with a big shot taken in the draft. Look, if you're not going to trade for somebody, if you're not going to pay big money in free agency to somebody, the draft is what you have. The Patriots need a stud. They need a star at that position. That's the way the league has gone. Mac Jones needs it. He needs his Jamar Chase. He needs his, um, you know, his Devontae Smith. He needs his Jalen Waddle, like Terry McLaurin. These guys that have come out of the draft and have been studs. That's not too much for me to ask for. If you don't want to give up a hundred draft picks. To, to trade for it, fine. If you don't want to pay a zillion dollars in free agency for it, fine. Draft it and draft it high up. Because if you told me that Mac Jones had five wide receivers that we like, okay, the player they draft, Devontae Parker, Nelson Aguilar, Jacoby Myers, Kendrick Bourne, that would be a wide receiver room that I would go to battle with and be happy about it. But if you just have the four and then throw in some 
you know, low-budget seventh-round flyer, that's not good enough. Mac Jones is good. He is not special. We've done that before. We're not doing it again today. He needs help. He needs a lot of help. He needs a big play star, and the Patriots can give it to him. Devontae Parker plus that, great. Devontae Parker by himself, better because there's an upgrade over Nikhil Harry, but it's not great. Uh, unnamed Hexter says on the text line, Pats ought to trade up for Bama wide receiver Jamison Williams, who's a monster and ahead of his schedule in rehab. Yeah, he tore his ACL in the national championship. The reports on him do look pretty good, though. I, I, I don't think the Patriots need to trade up. I'm okay with them picking at 21. I don't want to see them trade back, which is what I, a fear that I have, is that they're going to trade back from 21 into the second round again. I Make the pick in the first round. That's what I want. All right, a lot of you have been asking how the 5K went over the weekend. I will tell you I accomplished one of my two goals for the 5K this past Saturday. So reminder, I ran the 5K on Saturday morning in Colchester to benefit the Josh Pallotta Fund, which is an organization in Vermont that seeks to end veteran suicide. It's a great organization, great people, a great mission. I've done a couple of things with them. They've come on Rick Singeri's show on Vermont Viewpoint. So I'm very fond of the Josh of the Josh Pallotta Fund and their mission. So the run was Saturday morning, 10 a.m., through 40th and Allen in Colchester. Again, I accomplished one of my two goals. Not the goal I was expecting to accomplish, though. I did finish the race in under 30 minutes. That was always my time goal. The official time came in at 29 minutes and 15 seconds. So it was under a 10-minute mile pace. I know that's not great in the grand scheme of things, but it was actually that was actually my first official outdoor 5K. So I was happy to set that as my goal, a 10-minute mile pace, set that as my goal, and achieve it. So I guess it would be a little under 10 minutes because 3.1 miles, not three. But nonetheless, a 10-minute mile is nothing to write home about. But I'd never run a 5K before outside. I did a treadmill 5K once, which is obviously significantly different and significantly easier, I think, for a couple of different reasons. So it was my first ever 5K outside. So I did finish it in under 30 minutes. However, I did not finish it without stopping. I feel like I should get tomatoes thrown at me now or something. I'm very, I'm embarrassed by that. I don't know if I should be, but I am. I And I don't know if I would have rather finished without stopping, but gone, you know, longer than 30 minutes, or if I would rather done what I did, which is finish in under 30, would have had to stop to do it, but I did have to stop. And what makes it worse is that I actually stopped multiple times. That was extra embarrassing to me, and it feels extra pathetic. So at about 1.3 miles in, I had to stop the first time because my shoe came untied. My shoe came untied a little over a mile in, and if I had never had to stop for my shoe coming untied, I don't know how much longer I could have pushed myself but once I stopped once and the goal that goal was done, 
I think my mind mentally was like, it's open season here on your ability to stop. I stopped like four more times throughout the race. I had like five total stops during the race. They weren't long stops. I mean, it was only 15 to 20 seconds, but they were stops. And that frustrated the hell out of me. And that, I, if, and just having to stop multiple times, man, that gutted me. I was so mad at myself. Like, I tried to tell myself to keep going. I tried to set little goals as I was going, like, hey, get to the end of this song before you stop. And then, you know, try to keep going. Or get to this, uh, get to that post before you stop. And I just couldn't do it. Like, I've always had, like, pretty good willpower. And I've always been able to self-motivate myself. And I just couldn't do it on Saturday morning. Like, I would tell myself, oh, don't stop for another 100 feet, another 200 feet. Don't stop for another 60 seconds. And then I would hope that I could just blow through those things and not stop then. I, 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 had, to, I, 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 was, I had to stop multiple times. I had to stop multiple times. That's what frustrated me the most, that I didn't have the willpower I've always had to just push through something. I've always had the self-talk and the ability to get going. I just didn't have it. So I ran... You know, I only took, again, 15 to 20 second breaks. I ran a lot. You know, of the 3.1 miles, I'm sure I actually spent 2.9 of them actually running. So I didn't, you know, benefit a whole lot from walking when it came to distance-wise. But I did get under 30 minutes. So um, weather was largely good. You know, it was cold. It was like 35. Um, it was cold on Saturday morning. I do think that played with the lungs a bit, but, um, it was sunny. I look forward to doing another one and I look forward to doing another 5k and, um, you know, doing it outside. Cause all I could do all winter was, you know, train and run on a treadmill, which again is a lot different than running outside. So that, that was only like my second time running outside. And in that temperature, it definitely did get to the lungs a little bit. It's not an excuse. I just do think it's a valid reason. I clearly wouldn't have made it anyways, probably. But I'm excited to run another one and actually be outside for you know the full duration of kind of getting ready for it. So the legs felt pretty heavy yesterday. They feel good today. Uh, I did meet one of our listeners who also ran. So I want to shout out Matt from Waterbury service member. So I thank him for his service. It was a lot of fun to meet him. He was great and uh, had a few people message me and ask me what it was like. So appreciate everybody who took an interest here. Um, <laughs> Scott from North Hero. Brady, you can you can um, double knot your sneakers to take that excuse out of the equation, but uh, congrats. Good job. It, it's not an excuse. You know, look, I'm not going to lie to you. I, I I was rooting for my shoe to come untied at one point. I was so, like, my lungs were getting so jammed up after, like, the first mile. Like, I was rooting for it to happen. So when it did, I was like, oh, thank God. Like, I don't want that to be the case. I didn't try to make it happen. It just did. But when I felt it going, I was like, just go so I can get a stop in here. It's not supposed to be. It wasn't an excuse, though. I was going to stop anyways. I would have been curious how much further I could have taken it, though. Like, so I stopped. I ran that first mile in, like, 8.30. And then, like I told you, I think it was, like, 1.3 that I stopped. So, like, I feel like I stopped at, like, 10, 11 minutes, something like that. I guess it probably would have been 11 or 12 minutes. So I made it, like, 12 minutes without stopping. If I had 
not had my shoe come untied. I don't know. how. Could I have made it to 15 minutes? Could I have made it to 18 minutes? I don't know when my willpower would have given out. Maybe I would have stopped 30 seconds later than I did. I don't know. But I did. I think my goal would have been to at least get to 1.5 and try to get halfway through before I stopped. But I did make it. Uh, Phil on the text line says 29.15 is a win for you. That's good. Uh, Mark in South Hero is texting me gibberish. I don't know what he's trying to say, so please clarify, Mark. And uh, Jack, our old intern who is listening, I don't know, maybe Jack's tuning in from Connecticut or he's secretly home and listening to us and I don't know about, but he says, damn, just don't run as fast and you won't need to stop. Well, I was trying to get the 10-minute mile pace. You don't realize a 10-minute mile pace when you're actually doing it, it feels insanely slow. Like, I really thought I was, like, moving glacially, and I still finished under 30 minutes. So I was surprised about that. And uh, he says, yeah, cold weather is better than hot weather, always run in the cold. I'm sure, that, yes, in general, I'd rather run in 40-degree weather than 80-degree weather. That's absolutely true. That being said, when you haven't run outside in forever, then it's a little jarring to the system. That's all I was saying. Like, I wasn't quite prepared for it. Yes, in general... I would rather um, I would rather run in the cold versus the warmth, but I wasn't prepared for running outside at all. I've been all I've been doing is run on a treadmill for the last you know two and a half months since I decided I was going to do this. I am going to do another 5K down the road. I'm going to try to obviously my next goal is to finish it without stopping. Jack, uh, the old intern, says he's watching live on my Twitter feed. Very cool. See, we're finding we're just trying to be where you are. Um, Oh, oh, oh. So, Mark in South Hero wants to know, why did you stop? Shortness of breath, pain, or did you need a bathroom break? I did not stop for the bathroom. I could not have accomplished my time goal if I was stopping for a bathroom break. Um, yeah, I stopped just because I'm not in that great of shape right now. Like, And running three miles consecutively at any kind of pace is not easy to do if you are not in what you would deem to be great shape. I mean, look, this is not an excuse. This is just the truth of the matter. I was going to the gym three days a week. I had a gym membership at Orange Theory Fitness. I was going to the gym three days a week before the pandemic, and I was crushed. And I was also younger. I was, you know, 29 or whatever when the pandemic hit, maybe 30, whatever. So I was younger in general. I was going to the gym all the time. Then pandemic hits. Gym got Gyms got closed. I still did a bunch of stuff on my own, but I couldn't replicate the workouts that I was doing. And then I got hired here and my hours were completely different. So obviously you can always find time. That's not an excuse either, but you know, I, I generally work every day from nine, you know, 9am until 7pm. Plus I have an hour commute total between there and home. So like, obviously there's always time, but it was not time that I was able to make over the last two and a half years. So I am getting back into it. I'm not at, I'm not at peak shape yet. So I would just say definitely uh, stopped just because of general out of shape, which I guess turned into shortness of breath and a giant cramp in my side. So, uh, all right, who else wants to get in on the Napa-Morrisville, Napa-Waterbury text line? Um, yeah, you got to train outside. That comes from Frank. So... There you go. Frank was on his fifth grade cross country team. So that's his advice. So, all right. Um, 
Let's see. We'll get to who's saying what momentarily. Let's get into a couple of notes on the Red Sox. Red Sox lost today in a game we had here on DEV, and the final score was 2-0 in favor of the Minnesota Twins. And the Sox will end their Grapefruit League schedule tomorrow, and then we'll get ready to head north. Opening day is scheduled for Thursday, and we're going to have that for you on WDEV with coverage beginning at 12.05, first pitch 105, Nathan Navaldi against Garrett Cole. I think opening day is going to get postponed until Friday. I hope it doesn't. I love opening day. I love what it symbolizes. I love baseball. I love meaningful baseball. I love all of it. But I think we're not going to see Red Sox baseball until Friday. There's an 80% chance of rain in New York on Thursday. It's supposed to rain Tuesday and Wednesday leading up to Thursday. So the field is going to be soaked. It's going to rain on Thursday uh, Friday, there's still a chance of rain, but it's only 40%. There's a built-in off day to the schedule. Like the Red Sox aren't scheduled to play on Friday, so that is that's built in in case of inclement weather here in these opening series. So they've got it. I just assume they're going to use it. I don't see this game happening. It's the first full capacity opening day for the Yankees since 2019. They're going to want to do it right as they welcome fans back in full to Yankee Stadium for the beginning of a season. So all signs point to me that we're not going to be playing baseball on Thursday in the Bronx. I hope I'm wrong. I hope the weather forecast changes, but I would more expect Red Sox baseball to be uh, Friday. So, all right. Two, did you? I know the Red Sox lost today and they they got shut out. But did you see the ball that Rafael Devers hit out yesterday off the Braves? Like in Sunday's game against the Braves, did you see what Devers did? There's a high fly ball. That one driven down the line. That one is deep into the corner. And that ball is gone. That ball that Devers hit was on the ground practically. Huascar Noah was pitching for the Braves. He threw a curveball and a good one. Like the catcher was going down to on both knees to block the ball. That's how far down it was. And Devers just golfed it 400 feet to right field. I know we're playing in Florida. I know the ball travels, etc. It doesn't mean anything to me. That ball was going to be on the ground. It was going to bounce, and Devers clubbed it 400 feet. It goes to show you just how good. Devers' hands are, and that's what Buster only told us last week when Buster was on with us. I think that uh, if it's not quite in that realm, I don't think it's going to be that far off because he has such unusual hands for a hitter, right? Um, you know, he's got the power. He, I mean, we saw last year, it seemed like he applied information a lot better. But push comes to shove, there's just not many hitters in the big leagues with those, that style of hand. You, you have to find a way to get Devers locked up. You, you just do. I saw a prediction today from ESPN, like a bold prediction, that Rafael Devers could hit 40 home runs and 50 doubles this year. You cannot find production like that on trees. He is a cornerstone of your lineup. You have to find a way to keep this guy for the next 8 to 10 years. It's going to be expensive. It's going to be a long-term deal. You've got to get it done. You've got to find a way to have him in your lineup for the next decade. Uh, number three, this this one's not good news. Chris Sale has been transferred to the 60-day injured list. And what that means is that he's going to be out all of April and all of May now at, at the least. Now, 
Sale has been injured for multiple weeks now, but the injured list cannot start retroactively. So it's not like 60 days from March 10th or whatever. It's 60 days from today. So it's all of April. It's all of May. So we're not going to see sale now until at least June. We were thinking it was going to be like maybe May 15th. We're not going to see them until at least June 1st. And that's a gut punch for a Red Sox team that's trying to win a very difficult division, the best division in all of baseball. Now, I told you a couple weeks ago, I'm done counting on Chris Sales for things. Like, I think he can be good, but I'm done penciling him in as guarantees. They're going to need him to contribute to this year, and they're going to need him to be available this year. They don't, I, I, I'm not counting, I was never banking on him going 20 and 5, but I mean, if he doesn't pitch until June, then we're talking about him making what? 20 starts at most this year? And that's that's assuming his health for the whole rest of the season. I mean, they're going to need him to contribute. So uh, that that is not good news. Looks like the rotation is going to be as follows. Uh, we're going to see Avaldi, Nick Pavetta, you're going to see Tanner Houck in the rotation. Rich Hill is going to be in the rotation. And then Michael Waka is going to be in the rotation. Garrett Whitlock is going to be kind of what they call a piggyback with Rich Hill. We'll talk more about that tomorrow. But, uh, yeah, sale out through all of April and all of May. Uh, a couple other texts quick here on the text line, kind of some random things. Yeah, so one of our listeners says, Frank is right. Got to train outside. A treadmill doesn't have hills. Well, yes, a treadmill has an incline. You could certainly put an incline on the treadmill. You can also do a hill-based workout. So you can get around the hills on a treadmill. But, um, th I mean, the hardest, the thing that's most different is you can control your speed on a treadmill in the way that you can't control your speed outside like you could physically see exactly what you're doing where you know I don't if I'm running outside I don't know if I'm running at a 5.2 or a 5.6 or a 6.0 and what exactly the difference might be Mark in South Hero has a question for me he goes I need a Mariners update is Cal Raleigh going to make the opening day roster yes um why are people asking about that well Cal Raleigh's um father Todd is a Swanton Vermont native so Cal Raleigh is a young catcher for the Mariners, made his debut last year. His dad, uh, Todd Raleigh, is a uh, is a Swanton product, a Missisquoi High School graduate, played college baseball down at uh, – I can't remember where he played, but he coached at – I think he might have played at Western Carolina. I think he coached at um, Tennessee, if all these things are remembering correctly. We had him on the show last year, but yes – Cal Raleigh is on the Mariners opening day roster. All right, let's get to it quickly. Let's get to who's saying what. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? Mac Jones. Good Lord. Mel Kuyper's got to slow down on this. Mac Jones ain't going to work, folks. It's not going to work. He's got to come to terms with it. It's not going to work. They really said that? Every damn thing is politics and race, and I'm losing my mind over it. It's time for Who's Saying What on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEB AM, FM, and WDEBradio.com. 
Mark in South Heroes says you are correct on all your details about Todd Raleigh. So good. That is a win for me. Who's saying what is brought to you by Vermont Laser Wash? That's Central Vermont's home of unlimited, unlimited car washes. If you want unlimited car washes, it's just $20 a month. If you want just one free car wash, that's fine too. But you can text the word Vermont to the number 30 followed by 400. Let's hear from Coach K after Saturday's loss, the loss that ended Duke's season, the loss that ended Coach K's coaching career. I wanted my seasons to end where my team was either crying tears of joy or tears of sorrow because then you knew that they gave everything. And I had a locker room filled with guys who were crying. And it's a beautiful sight. It's not the sight that I would want. I'd want the other. But it's a side that I really respect and makes me understand just how good this group was. I just, I just thought that was a beautiful message. A lot of people don't like Coach K. A lot of people just don't like Duke in general. But I, I, I've always liked Duke. I just thought that was a beautiful message. Um, you know, wanted them to be crying tears of joy, or wanted them to be crying because they put in everything that they had. What an impact Coach K had on the sport. It's going to be weird not watching him on the sidelines. As I've said, I've always had a soft spot. Duke, not because I'm some front runner, not because I just like the teams that won or whatever when I was growing up, but when I lived in North Carolina, like everyone around me was a UNC fan. Everyone around me was a UNC fan. I was only eight years old or whatever. I was just some six years old. I was some contrarian punk little kid. And if everyone around me was going to like UNC, well, I was going to like the team that they all hated. So I enjoyed watching Duke from a very young age. Now, I don't label Duke as one of my teams now. I don't follow them, you know, any more closely than a lot of you do. You know, now I follow UVM. That's the only program that I really follow in depth. I just watch games as a fan otherwise. So, you know, I I felt, I guess, you know, I didn't ever develop that much of an affinity for Duke, but I always liked them growing up, always respected the way Coach K ran his program. I'll never forget William Avery, Rashawn McLeod, my first favorite Duke players when I moved to North Carolina. So uh, very, very cool to watch Duke over the years and all the great players and the impact that Coach K had on college basketball. I also think that it should not be forgotten or overlooked what Coach K did for USA Basketball because that 2004 Olympic team that won bronze in Athens and was just embarrassed – um, Coach K took over in 2008 with what they called the Redeem Team. And I understand the, the stars came out. LeBron played and Kobe played and all that. And that. But that was an incredible team. And Coach K helped rally the cause again of USA Basketball. And he also proved that he could coach pro guys. Because there was always the question, could a college coach coach pro players? Would pro players respect a college coach? And those guys did. And he was still able to push them, and he was still able to get the best out of them. And that team went on to win gold, and we've won gold at every Olympics since 2008. So Coach K had a lot to do with that, with the legacy and the pride in restoring USA basketball. It won't get the attention that his career at Duke gets, but it should be it should be remembered because his contributions to international basketball for the U.S are notable as well. It is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, earlier in the show we had on Phil Perry, Pat's insider at NBC Sports Boston. What exactly does he think are the expectations for the Patriots as we sit right now 
in 2022. I'm going to react to what Phil had to say. That's next on DEV. 3026. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Show brought to you in part today by Pro Driver Training. That's Pro Driver Training, Vermont's premier truck driver training school. They're online at prodrivercdl.com. That's prodrivercdl.com. Again, you can uh, get your Class A CDL, your Class B CDL, passenger and advanced skills training as well. All right, Phil Perry, Pat's Insider, NBC Sports Boston, was on with us about an hour ago, 45 minutes ago. And we, I asked him the question. I said, where are the Patriots right now in the AFC? Are they closer to the top or to the bottom of the conference? And he said it was a good question, and then he went on to say his – expectations for the team right now they should be back in the conversation for double digit wins and they should be in the conversation for the postseason well i predict right now in april before the draft that they're going to be back in the playoffs after getting there last year with the rookie quarterback no especially after losing what they lost on their coaching staff in particular josh mcdaniels you know you want to throw the losses of jt jackson and shaq mason in there i would agree with you there those are significant losses as well so I'm not going to say they should be in for sure, but they should be sniffing it. They should be sniffing the playoffs. 802-585-3026. When you hear Phil say that, those expectations, they should be sniffing the playoffs, how does that make you feel as a Patriots fan? Now, I think his his um, declaration that they should be in the market for double-digit wins, I think that is is too high right now. I don't see this team as a double-digit win team. I've told you I see them somewhere more likely between seven wins and nine wins. We'll see what happens after the draft, but right now I think double-digit wins is too high. Now, Phil says they should be sniffing the playoffs. That's probably fair. Like, could they come in as a seven seed? Sure, that is possible. Right now I think it's unlikely, but it is possible. So I do think he's right. They could be sniffing the playoffs. But that is the problem. Sniffing the playoffs should not be the goal of the New England Patriots. The goal should be how can we get to the Super Bowl and how can we win it? Not how can we sniff the playoffs. Sniffing the playoffs is for the Lions. Sniffing the playoffs is for the Jaguars. Getting to be a seven seed and being happy with it is, is now for the Atlanta Falcons. Like, you're the New England Patriots. I, I'm not a selfish fan. I've always said I'm good spending some time with the back of the line because of all the Patriots' success over the last 20 years, but you can't be just okay being at the back of the line. You've got to find a way to get back into the real conversation. The real conversation is how do we get back to the Super Bowl? I want to be in that conversation. I want to be sniffing the Super Bowl. I don't want to be sniffing the playoffs. Sniffing the playoffs is for the Cleveland Browns. Sniffing the playoffs is not where I want to be. That's why Robert Kraft is frustrated. That's why he's impatient. He doesn't want to sniff the playoffs. He wants to sniff the Super Bowl. That's what I want to hear as well. So when Phil says, yeah, they should be in the conversation for the Patriots, he's or for the for the playoffs, he's right. 
they should be in that conversation. They're good enough to hover around the playoff talk. But that should not be the goal. That should not be okay. It should not be tolerated. This is about how can we contend for the division and how can we get back to the Super Bowl and win it. And I think in order to get there again, I think that Bill Belichick is going to have to change his philosophy. He's going to have to evolve. Bill Belichick has always evolved with the NFL in terms of the way the game is played on the field, the way it's played physically. He's going to have to evolve in how he looks at the front office as well. The Malcolm Butler, Devontae Parker, Jabril Peppers moves, they're good moves. They're moves where you're getting a guy like they're getting guys that are maybe a little bit too old or maybe a little bit too young or a little bit undervalued or coming off an injury or whatever. They're all guys that you need. Take a chance on guys like that. But you can't just build the roster with those guys. In today's NFL, what have I said? You need stars. You need to take big shots. The Patriots need to adopt that style of thinking. I don't mean be reckless. I don't mean be stupid. Be calculated. Be smart like you always are. But the NFL now more than ever is about going for it. And yes, I like Jabril Peppers. And I like Devontae Parker. And I'm fine with Malcolm Butler. They're nice, great supplementary moves. The problem is right now they're not supplementing anything. They are the moves. And in today's NFL, if those are the moves, then you're going to be stuck where the Patriots are stuck. Good enough, you know, not good enough to be a top team and not bad enough to get a top pick. They're going to be watchable. They're going to win games. They might sniff the playoffs, but they're not going to win the Super Bowl. They need to evolve how they build their roster. And Phil said, Belichick's not really wired that way. We also know that Bill Belichick has a certain philosophy on, on how he feels is the right way to build. And it wasn't what he did last year. That was okay for one year to build a competitive team very quickly, which he did, and kudos to him for that. But he does not view that as a sustainable method for building a good team. And so while all these other teams are doing what you're saying, Bill Belichick does not want to be a part of that group. He's going to have to be. Again, not foolishly. I'm not asking him to spend a gazillion dollars every year in free agency. I know it's a salary cap league. I know you don't have that. But the salary cap goes up every year. There is more money coming into the NFL every single year. You have got like to take advantage of that. You can give out more money. You can t- you can trade for a guy and give him a big extension and it's not going to cripple you because the cap goes up Every single year. Like, think about this, right? If today your mom gives you $10 in allowance and you spend nine of it, you're like, wow, that's that's a lot. And then next week she tells you she's going to give you 20. Well, guess what? You can afford to spend 14. You're still coming out on top. That's what the Patriots need to do. They could trade for DK Metcalf and give him $100 million and it would not cripple you because the money every year goes up and eventually the contract you gave him will look like a relative bargain compared to what everyone else is getting. Belichick has always evolved. He's always been cutting edge. That's why he's been so successful. He sees things in the NFL before they become reality. 
He's been innovative on the field. He's got to be innovative in the front office as well. The Patriots need it. Because just building a, a roster of Jabril Peppers, that's not the answer. Think about it like the Red Sox. You need a Christian Arroyo. You need a diamond in the rough, right? Christian Arroyo is great. He's great when he's not a starting infielder 162 games a year. When he is there with Devers and Bogarts and Story, then Christian Arroyo works awesome. But if Christian Arroyo was going to play 162 games for you, that would be a problem. Right now, the Patriots are building up a roster of Christian Arroyos, good players that are going to be asked to do way more than they should be asked to do. They've got to find a way to get the star. And then when you have the stars, like the Red Sox do, Christian Arroyo supplements it, and he's great, and he's awesome, and we love him. Patriots got to find their stars. Too many Christian Arroyos on their team. Uh, I did get a question on the Napa-Morrisville, Napa-Waterbury text line earlier in the show I wanted to get to quick. What does the Devontae Parker trade mean for Nelson Aguilar? Well, I don't think it means anything roster-wise for the Patriots. Like, Devontae Parker being here doesn't mean that Nelson Aguilar is going to get cut. It means Nikhil Harry is going to get cut. Nikhil Harry is not going to be here. Maybe he'll get traded for a seventh-round pick. I don't. He's not going to be here. So he's he's the guy on the chopping block. So from a roster standpoint, Parker being here doesn't do anything to Aguilar. Now, if they draft a wide receiver like I want, then maybe Aguilar could be collateral damage of that, but I, but I don't even think that that would be the case. I, I just think really all it does is that it helps Aguilar out, right? Like Parker can play on the outside, same as Aguilar can, can take some attention away from Aguilar, maybe create him some more one-on-one opportunities to get down the field. I, I just think it's more about getting guys that work well together, and I think these guys would. But I don't think it changes the roster in any way. All right. I don't know how much you all have been following this story at UAlbany, but UVM's, I would argue, their chief rival in the America East, UAlbany, they they had a massive situation yesterday with their men's basketball head coach, Dwayne Killings. There was an allegation. There was an investigation. And at the end of it, Dwayne Killings actually kept his job. I'll t- I've learned more about this story, and I'll tell you why, at least based on what we know, I'm actually okay with him keeping his job. We'll get into that story next, because as a UVM fan, you should be aware of what's going on around the conference. I'll tell you what's happening at UAlbany. That's next on DEV. Texting on to the Brady Farkas Show at 802-585-3026. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV-AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Jazz with George Thomas comes up in about 10 minutes, and then Eye on the World coming up at 9 o'clock with John Batchelor. Yeah, I think Albany has made, based on what we know, the right decision in keeping their head men's basketball coach, Dwayne Killings, around. I don't know if you've been following this, but UVM's rival was really up a creek last week. So last week, Jeff Goodman of Stadium, he came out and said that UAlbany was investigating a complaint, an allegation against head coach Dwayne Killings for alleged inappropriate contact with a player. 
So my first thought was, did Dwayne Killings hit the player? Did he strike the player in some way? So that was the allegation. Then by the end of the week, the school concluded an investigation. They said they'd been doing for months since they got the allegation. They ended up keeping Killings. They gave him a five-game suspension to start next year and fined him $25,000. Based on what I know, I believe the school has made the right decision here. I know we're in the culture of firing everyone for everything, but based on what we know, I think the school made an acceptable decision and came to an acceptable resolution. First off, the school did punish the coach. They admitted a wrongdoing. Sometimes you are allowed to just be punished without being fired. They suspended him for five games. They fined him $25,000. So, again, not everyone needs to be fired right on the spot for everything. Two, I said my first thought was, did he strike a player? The incident was not striking a player in a malicious way. It happened during a pregame hype circle. So you know where you see all the players get around in a circle and fire each other up? That's where this incident took place. Mike Kelly of the Daily Gazette, who covers you, Albany, he talked with me on the podcast channel, and he added a little more context to this whole, uh, context to this whole thing. You know, teams, you know, players – typically are, you know, kind of, you know, mosh pit type environment. Um, And it seems like somehow, you know, Dwayne Killings was involved with that for one of these games. Um, And it was, you know, deemed to be inappropriate by, you know, from my reporting, people in the moment were surprised by what happened. Um, And then after the fact, uh, you know, the school has, you know, at least uh, I think that the, the, the quote would be substantiated the allegations or, or something to that effect. Um, you know, that's that's something inappropriate did occur, um, you know, in terms of physical contact between a coach and a player. So I'm not saying it's good for an, in a hype circle for the coach to, to, to make contact with a player. I'm not defending that. But Mike is right. There is an element of a mosh pit type environment to a pregame hype circle. So as I am envisioning it in my mind, it's not a malicious disciplinary thing. I'm picturing a hype up gone wrong. And I do think for that, there does not need to be a firing done on the spot. As long as the details remain as they have been, then I think UAlbany has made uh, made the right choice. And then, look, the players a lot of times, this is what really sells it for me, the players a lot of times will kind of give you the answer I think in a couple of different ways. This incident happened in November at UAlbany. It was like the team's fifth game. The team continued to play hard for Dwayne Killings for the next four months. What I saw out of UAlbany multiple games this year was I was impressed with how hard they played, how hard they worked. If they hated their coach or were scared of their coach or resented their coach, that would not have been the case. There would have been, you know, a bunch of rolling of the eyes. There would have been, you know, oh, they get down and just stop fighting because they just don't like their coach. I've been on teams like that where you won't fight for a guy. They fought for Dwayne Killings. That's what Mike told me. Um, it was before, you know, what would have been, I think, like the sixth game of the season. Um, you know, so there was, you know, pretty much a full season after this incident um, to, you know, 
to observe, you know, kind of how people on that team view Dwayne Killings. Um, you know, and I don't think there was a bad word, you know, the whole season. Um, the players, you know, they liked him. They liked the coaching staff. They really, that coaching staff, there was no, you know, kind of dissension at all within them. So the play, so the coaches coached hard for him. The players played hard for him for four months after the incident. Again, the players will tell you oftentimes, they will show you in their body language how they feel about somebody. And if these guys were willing to play hard for him for so long after this, I think there's a general like there, and there is a general um, happiness at him being their coach. And then finally, these allegations come out, and players are not fleeing the program. That also tells you everything you need to know, and that's what Mike told me too. Um, I really thought that last week that we were going to see, you know, there was going to, you know, one day there was going to be eight guys from Albany who jumped into the portal at 9 a.m. Um, that never happened. All the freshmen stayed. Um, so it seems like, you know, there wasn't this mass, you know, exodus from the program, which, which frankly I expected Wednesday, Thursday. So the players stayed around. They have stayed around. They're staying with their coach. That that tells me that, well, what happened is not okay. A punishment was, is the okay way to go. I know everybody wants to fire everybody for everything. But if the players played hard for them and the players are staying around, I think they're telling you that uh, he's the guy they want to play for. By the way, Mike Kelly, who you just heard there, my former high school teammate. There's more on that interview on the podcast channel where we get into what it was like playing with me 15 years ago. I got Kansas tonight over UNC. I got 74-67. to 67. I think the Jayhawks get their first title in more than a decade, and the Cinderella run comes to an end for the Tar Heels. Jazz with George Thomas is coming up next. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and always streaming at WDEVradio.com.